Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpost. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on anchor.co.uk as well as Apple Podcasts, the Google Store and some other podcast type places. Um, this week I am joined by uh, everyone's favourite farm vet, uh, especially the housewives, Phil Elkins. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. No problem. The, ni- the nicest man in Cornish rugby podcasting wearing a British Lions uh, pullover. What's a snazzy pullover, Ben? <laughs> Took out a small five-year mortgage to buy that, it. Is that your mother's money coming in? <laughs> um, you've also heard there the Lensman. Welcome, Lensman. Now then. And special guest. Now, for those of you that follow our Twitter, which I hope is probably nearly all of you that listen to this, this week... Phil has mentioned that it is the five-year anniversary that we very first got together to release a podcast. This is pre-Lensman. So much like the Sugar Babes, we have uh, (laughs) reunited and I'm delighted to welcome the original host, the original creator, the the technical brains behind the original Mall Over podcast. Perry Hughes. Welcome back, Perry, for the first time. Hello, guys. God knows how long. <laughs> it really was a tempo operation back then, wasn't it? Mate, I remember being sat, we, we sat around your laptop in your living room <laughs> yeah. whilst we banished your missus to the to the back room. In our small one-bed flat. I, in I, the small one- well. I was, I was the- gonna say it wasn't it wasn't even Perry's living room, it was Louise's living room. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, that, that's yeah. true. And then how we are- moved. From there to sit, sitting around a, a mobile phone in in Phil's front room, and oh wow, those those were the memories. Those were the days. George's kitchen table. George's yeah, Jane playing yeah, us. Didn't with, invite uh, George on, did we? Bad luck. 
That's true. How on brand for us, by the way, is it that we started a rugby podcast three weeks before the season was finishing? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I remember rightly, our uh, our second episode was the championship playoff final going on in the background. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we winning Chiefs and winning Twitter was one of the first ones that we created, if I remember rightly, yes. on SoundCloud. Yes, yes, I and remember that. It was just unbelievable. Five five years ago, and and what a what a journey! And here we are on Skype, recording from different locations with actual microphones and headsets and you know, mediocre editing. <laughs> and you know all sorts of all sorts of stuff. But um, if I was to ask you know, Ben, if I was to ask you what your you know, if you've got any outstanding memories of the last five years, well, in terms of um, what we've actually done, I think the the two trips we had to London were probably the uh, the highlights, really. Uh, one to the Canterbury event and one to the Premiership final. Yeah, I gotta say for me the the Premiership final to be to get the um, media access and accreditation for the Premiership final was was absolutely unbelievable, and that atmosphere is probably one of the best I've ever I've ever witnessed. Um, that that door's been firmly shut on the media access because well, apparently a, po- a podcast doesn't count as media. Let Let's not count our chickens, Phil. I've I've been in in touch with the powers that be, Ooh. and we might have some uh, we might have some avenues open for the future. Uh, Douglas, you were obviously the le- a later arrival into the into the podcast arena, slipping in through the back door after after Perry left it ajar. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you got any any outs- you know, outstanding or overriding memories since just, since we just, started? Just texting you on a weekly basis, basically. <laughs> I mean, That's the only for, reason I still turn up. So I mean, we've we've explained this lots over the years. Doug and I were in the RAF together, and we were we hadn't really kept in contact too much and we probably hadn't seen each other for about three or four years previous to the podcast starting and then after out of the blue I get a message about the podcast that I'm promoting and hey, hey tubs I want in on that and then <laughs> ever ever since it's uh it's just been a constant peppering of, <laughs> of barrage of abuse but it's what makes it fun so Thank if it you. wasn't so easy, I wouldn't do it. That's true. <laughs> what, to, to podcast or to abuse me? Both. Ah, nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, here we are, five years later. We're still going. We're still loosely talking about rugby and referees and punching lions and setting ourselves on fire. Um, but more about that a little bit later on. Uh, but first, let's let's talk about some, some premiership rugby. Um Let's start. Uh, we'll, we'll fly around. We'll fly around the Premiership from the weekend first. Doug, you were at, at Wasps uh, on Saturday. Anything particular of note to, to chat about there? I, you know, it, it, it's difficult to um, watch it in as much detail when um, your arsehole sucked to the seat where you're you're so tense trying to direct it and not um, nause it up too badly. I mean, how how was that? I mean, you've you've done that a few times now, you know, in, in recent Yeah, I yeah. definitely do that. Um, what what's it like, like being in the director's chair when when you've got the TMO talking to you and and you and you 
sort of almost being directed. Are you, are you the director being directed by the TMO as well? It, it, it's quite... I mean, if you want me to give you a... a I, think it'd be, I think it'd be interesting for people that don't really know how it works. So, obviously, you're, you're in control of, of everything. So you've got your eight, your eight match cameras, the TMO... Uh, vision engineers controlling the color levels and and exposure of the cameras, VT operators on gra- on VT machines, graphics operator, sound, the lot. Um, for the majority of the game, you've got the commentators in your ear, um, VT every time something happens, offering you um, offering you shots from different. Vi- replay machines um then you've got graphics operators who might be offering offering you some like a little stats box to put in the corner of the frame you've got the tmo talking to you so you you can at any one time like in a big moment so for example the red card which was um you know i don't i don't i don't like that being a red card i thought that was harsh a very harsh red card but at that moment, you have the referee talking to the TMO, who then is in your ear. Uh, we need to have, we need to check that. So you're communicating with the VT ops, who are saying, right, we've got it on this machine and this machine and this angle. Then you've got the graphics operator because you need to stand by the graphic to say who it is and their yellow card. Then you've got um, the commentators talking about it, and they might be referencing the other player. So then you're directing the cameras to give you your shots. Honestly. I, I don't think I can do it justice. The amount of sort of mental processing you have to go through to filter out the relevant information and give it to the right person and still cut a show that doesn't look bad. You know? Yeah. I mean, so you cut you you cut everything yourself. So you have eight eight buttons, one one per camera, and then you have four replay machines. So you have a bank of of um you might have seen the picture i put up of the of the, the mixing desk it has all eight cameras that are in front of you so you're watching eight cameras obviously you have your camera one camera two which is your main cut um then you so you're doing not only are you processing that but you're, you're you're then having to cut, press the right button unconsciously if that makes sense yeah kind of has to be like a a um a reaction yeah obviously depending on which end you have two corner cameras so you you tend to sit sit with your right hand is your corner cameras and you move that as a pair depending on where they are then you lift one up you have to preview it so uh, honestly i can't do it you can't do it just the only way you could really do it justice is to record the output and then while you're sitting there you try and cut the same cameras that I'm cutting just with on a keyboard with like buttons one to eight. It it sounds mentally stressful. So just just you know, I've I've rambled on a bit, but to to get to a replay, for example, I'll be so something will happen, bang, you're on camera two, you'll then you'll go, right, what's the information I need to give? I need to give who's who's in that collision, who's in that incident. Where is it relevant? What angle am I going to go to next? Which replay machine am I going to? 
does the TMO need anything? If the TMO needs anything, are they communicating with the ref? Because if the refs, if they're communicating with the ref, I need to show the ref. So which camera's got the ref? And you're doing all this while it's all going on. You've got the commentator in your ear as well. Um, then just the process to get from a camera to a replay, you have to preview a replay machine. So you have to, <laughs> there's two banks of buttons. You've got your eight cameras, which cut live. Then beneath that, you've got another bank of buttons, which cut preview so you can see what's going on next. To get to a replay, you have to cut. So for example, you go from camera two to cut to camera three, standby VTX, you put your VTX on preview, wipe roll, that's queuing the VT op. You then press the white button to get to the replay. You then mix to the next replay. All the while you're doing this, you're talking to the VT op, listening to the TMO. Then you've got a queue up where you're going to come out to. So you'll be coming out to camera three. So you'll preview camera three, wipe to camera three, right? Which angle do you want next? Okay, we'll go to that one. So VT, I need, yeah. It's mental. It's that's absolutely my dream mental. job. And, and as for someone that's only done a few games, you were literally, the first 10 minutes you sit there, you you have no idea what's going on. The first game I did, I didn't even realise it was half time. A ball went into touch, and the referee blew for full time. I was like, oh, uh, that's 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 full time, isn't it? <laughs> we haven't done man of the match or anything like that because I was just so caught up in it. Um, so that's you know a brief I mean, insight into it. But you know, that, and if, if anyone's still awake, Wasps also played a game of rugby. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's interesting is I bet you. You can't from from a camera position. You've got your you've got your focus as the camera, and you and you know if the play's at the other end of the pitch, mm-hmm. you can't switch off to a certain extent. But you can sort of switch off until you. I mean, you get used to knowing when where your action zones are and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, like which means you can spend a little bit more time looking and taking in the game to a certain mm-hmm. extent, as opposed to when you're directed. You can't take in any of the game because you're spending so much time. I mean, look, I'm sure else? I'm getting to the point now where the game's slowing down somewhat. So with the directs, I'm I'm kind of feeling a bit more in control. Whereas yeah. previously, you're sort of hanging on and trying it's, to keep up. It, yeah, it's, um, and I'm getting to the point now where I'm in control. When you watch the real experienced people like Daniel Hudson, who did the World Cup final, or um, there's a guy. Um, who's uh reese edwards who's out in america and he's he's basically trained the americans in how to present and shoot rugby um when you're watching those guys you know they'll be sitting having a chat to the tmo during the game because they're, they're so in control and they've done it so much it's like any job the more you do it the yeah. more comfortable you are and like for me as a camera operator when you when i'm operating a camera it's almost like the game's on one third speed doesn't yeah. feel fast because you you're, un, you're under control you know? it, it makes sense and it was so you know when you watch it as a viewer it just it just seems effortless and you wouldn't as a layman that wouldn't even see any mistakes wouldn't notice any mistakes it would just just happen wouldn't it yeah um, you mentioned quite a bit about the tmo there um and we've spoken it about a little bit perry i'm interested to hear your thoughts on tmo intervention in general and what like we're seeing a lot more like bristol um the bristol game on monday night was nigh on two hours long yes there were eight tries like disallowed and lots of stuff going on but so many tmo interventions almost uncalled for just getting involved it's um, it's getting a bit much isn't it 
Yeah. And, and you know, where, where do you see it? Touch judges, TMOs. Should we just let the referee get on with the game and then? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it has to. I think towards the end of that, the the Bristol game, it was almost pointless, wasn't it? Some of the decisions that with the TMO was getting involved in, it had no reflection on the game. Um, and it, as you say, it went on for what was it, two hours? Yeah, that game, which is ridiculous. Um, but it's. It's been happening for years. It seems to be getting worse, and even the the calls that they're making because of it are getting worse and and, and more shocking. And it is almost killing the game. I don't want to say in terms of VAR or anything like that in football, but it is slowing down the game a lot, and it's it's taken away from the refs. I think. I think like Luke Pearce is quite good at it. He tries to avoid. It seems to me anyway. He seems to avoid going that far with TMOs and trying to take it upon himself, but sometimes they have to because that's what they're, how they're governed um, but it, it is getting silly it's nearly every decision almost nearly every try you see is has anything happened and um, it's taking away from the game and and, so, and slowing down the, the flow of it I mean I'm always forget- here about that Bristol game uh, was it Rowan Kitt it was wasn't it CMK and Rowan Kitt because Rowan Kitt's a full time TMO right he doesn't actually officiate anymore yeah correct so my, I, I have a theory on this. So um, we had Claire, I can't remember what her surname was, but she, she was brilliant. She didn't interfere with on-field decisions. She was only, she was only, um, she only got involved when she was asked to get involved and was very quick with the decisions. Whereas I feel like some of them get involved where they don't need to get involved. And then when Way they get involved, their, their process isn't slick enough. So they, it's almost like, it, you know, what, what you want is a TMO that goes, right, you want me to look at this. And they need to know the layout in the truck well enough, like Claire did on Saturday, where she goes, the angle I want is VTX, and then I want VTY, cue it up, let me see it. I've seen it, nothing to worry about. And then she was on to temp- tempo, nothing to see there, move on. That's all you want. You don't need this discourse between, oh, do you think this might have happened? No, it, you, you, they need to deal in black and white. Yeah. Is, is part of, does part of that come down to, I know Perry just said um, Wayne Barnes, does part of it come down to ego as well in terms of, and don't get me wrong, I think Wayne Barnes is um, by far and away one of the best referees in the world. But he does kind of like to he likes to to use his mouth quite a lot and get involved um and is it that they kind of they want to be part of it they're there and they want to be involved and they want to be part of it and they think their opinion is is kind of needed um and ultimately the answer is it needs to come down to the rfu to give guidance in terms of how tmo should be used um and they are being used too much but there's a like rowan kit he's he's forever going oh I think we should have a look at that. And three quarters of the time, he could have had a look at it and gone, you know what, that's a rugby incident, let's move on. Um, and I, who was the TMO uh, last night? Sean uh, Davey. Sean Davey, yeah. So he pulled up for, um, it was, was it on Lonsdale? There was a, it was a clear out by, I want to say, Creevy. Yeah, no, Lonsdale. it was, it was, it was Creevy on Lonsdale, yeah. And yet his arm was, Creevy's arm was on Lonsdale's shoulder and he drove him backwards, um, drove him off the ball. But um, Timo could have had a look at that and gone, yeah, that's a rugby instant, let's move on. But he chose to stop the game, 
break it down, have a look at it, and just it just ruins the continuity for everybody. The yeah, only yeah. reason the only reason you should be having a minute break at any point during a rugby match is because of fat props taking a knee to try and have a bit of a breather. I, I think the intention is to get all of these decisions made in live play, but there there seems to be um, whether whether or not it, it's a training issue or 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 just a personality thing in that people aren't decisive enough. There seems to be an issue in um, the speed in which certain people do things, and also, you know, that 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 incident with Creevy last night. We all were looking for the neck roll, but yeah. what went completely under the radar during all that was the fact that Mongan actually knocked the ball on on the floor. Yeah. And it led directly to a try. So if you're having a TMO and you choose to stop the game to check a breakdown, then check the breakdown. <laughs> don't, mean, yeah. Don't yeah. just go for the highlight, you know, sending off. That was a try that was directly from a, 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 a clear knock-on. Um but it wasn't looked at because yeah, it's all almost like that. looking for was a neck roll. That Genge thing, wasn't it? Because Genge got binned on Saturday, um, but that was there was a bit of reversal. I can't remember who got binned before him, but then he was brought back on because there was a knockdown uh, yeah. on prior. Is it Cole? No, it, Cole got no, it was, binned. It was a Queen's player. A Queen's player got. Was it Earl Perry? I think it was Earl. Yes, it for was. A deliberate Earl, yeah. knock on, yes. and then they went back to the clear out, and then. Luke, Luke Pierce literally apologised to Genge for the yellow card, and he, he used the, the phrase "that was a good clear out" because it there wasn't it wasn't he, he aimed at the guy's head or anything. He just as he sort of made a good clear out, he kind of bounced into his into into the um, defender's head, and yeah. and and they just didn't want to send send him into the bin, but. The protocols left them with no choice. And this is the, the the problem with protocols. I mean, you look at Mike Brown getting a six week ban. He's got a six week six weeks ban, and and in the in the, the write up from the in the report from the sighting commissioner, it was acknowledged that it was unintentional. Now, if it was unintentional, why are you banning a bloke? Yeah, I, know, I think a lot, a lot of these you no choice because. Yeah. You touch somebody's head with your boot, therefore you must be banned. It's like, yeah, but it was literally, we are all admitting here that it was an accident. Mm, and it's, what... it's this, you know, there there were a lot of um, legal minds that are quite high up in the RFU and and in rugby in general. And they, they seem to be able to write these, you know, that it's no coincidence that they're laws, not rules. Um, but a lot of them aren't really fit for a game that, has 30 moving parts at any one time. You know? I'd like so to, I'd like to have seen Barnes and Pierce have that discussion as well as the TMO and then just go, you know what? No card. And if then, if then the RFU or Premiership Rugby or the Sighting Commissioner wants to take it up after the game, then leave it, then leave it to them. But I think that in that position, like you say, Ben, they didn't want to bin him. They tried every sort of, angle and conversation and prolong it to try and convince themselves that they had a way out of it but they didn't think that they could so my it, my, my understanding is that if if the refs looked at something and spotted it and made a decision on it that the sighting commissioner can't then go any further with it um 
it's it, he's kind of the on-field refs made the decision and and that's it and it moves on and the problem is the RFU have got this quasi legal structure where they're trying to to deal with something like a proper court but ultimately the the entire legal structure is based on the fact that things get tested in a court laws may appear black and white but they're not they're they're about how they're interpreted in a court and yet the RFU are trying to to kind of emulate that but only by looking at things in exactly a black and white um framework and and it's yeah it's becoming somewhat ridiculous when you've got referees apologizing to players for for simbinning them but ir- irrelevant of what um Ellis Genge did if there's a f- if there's a yellow card foul surely you should go to the bin for it it doesn't yeah. matter that there was foul play beforehand yeah he should have gone to the bin but they don't get the penalty yeah yeah because yeah. it was potentially yeah. a massive turnaround because it it took tigers down to 13 and it that's kept right, quins yeah. at 15 but actually it because quins played the yellow card period so badly it just wound genge up so he came on and scored a try pretty much straight away so it didn't actually, actually do quins a lot of good but he it had actually, a blinder of a game didn't he it? did yeah i mean I, let's uh before we start actually talk about actual rugby uh, one last thing with the sort of refereeing and um tmo is i noticed in that game they they really focused on technicalities um, and and it was a really good game of rugby, but they kind of prevented a, an excellent game breaking out. And it was they were really focusing on the offside line and kicks and and um, blocking lines and things like that. And I, I wonder, I know that if you if you're infor- enforcing the offside line and the kick chase, you, you're trying to open up space. But if if they're offside constantly, you're just going to break the game up even more with more and more penalties and i i wonder it makes you it shouldn't. less watch you shouldn't though none of those guys on the pitch uh uh are incapable of going you know what this ref's really hot on offside from a kick so i'm going to start a step further back yeah but i think what they're looking for is is they're they're happy to sacrifice the flow of a game to get 30 second clips that they can clip up on youtube yeah, yeah, no, you, but you've mentioned but my, that quite a few times. <laughs> my, my, my point is, if if the ref's going to ping for for offside, and we've said it about Itoje in England games, if the ref's going to ping and be ultra harsh on offside, the captain just needs to have a word and go, just take a step back, just don't compete quite so hard on that. Take a step back, and we'll have to deal with it because that's we, the way the we, ref's going to play it. And it's and it's easy to say when you're playing at whatever level. Hornets play at now, level 10, level 15, whatever it is, um, because each ref is completely different um, and half of them can only see out of one eye and the other half are deaf. So, like, you've got to work out how to play the ref pretty quickly and you've got to respond to that. But I'm amazed that professional rugby players cannot respond to how a ref referees a game. No, I think we've, we've all been in games where you are convinced you're not offside. I'm never offside. But, like, also, I've filmed hundreds of games where offside penalties are given, and you can see that those players are clearly not offside. It's such such a subjective um, law that 
to to time for a referee to see or a touch judge to see the exact moment a ball is picked up and the exact moment a player crosses the off offside line, it's a guess a lot of the time. And if some players are really really good at getting off the line, then they're going to get pinged. And I think a lot of the time on those goal line stands, those players aren't offside. They no, just react quicker. Yeah. yeah, they're reacting quicker than the ref thinks that they can react. And, and nine times out of ten, they might be offside, but the team that have got the ball are pre-latching anyway. Yeah, it's the, that's right. It's the, it's the Linford Christie Atlanta Olympics all over again. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's the overarching thing. I often say, yeah, if you... If I just you, think it's a shit law. Yeah, well, I, I think I think it's I think a demonstrably bad law because the amount of games where teams get down to the five meter line and they'll do three phases, then it's offside, and then you've got to go through the whole thing of tap and go offside again. Right? How many of these have we got to do before? Like Saracens were masters at it. They they seem to be able to play the offside game to just the very point of a yellow card being given and then they'd win a turnover. They did it so many times and they got away with it. But it, it's just it's um it's a crap law. It needs to it needs to go. It's, yeah. I, I don't know how what the alternative is, but I just think it's a crap law. Talking of crap laws, I want oh, no, I'm not gonna go for Courtney. Um <laughs> I wanted to talk briefly about scrum penalties and how much bullshit like penalties at scrums are I think one of the biggest reasons why we've got we've got so much stop start and so many other leading on penalties in, in the game at the moment. Teams that are on top in a scrum could be on top for all manner of reasons. It could be because they're better, but it could be for a number of other reasons. The sooner they realise to make a scrum infringement a free kick, it will make it will stop the game being broken up so much. And I think that if you can, it, the referees most of the time are guessing anyway. Flip side to that, of, I, I get that, Russ. In terms of you, then don't go for a scrum penalty. But the flip side of that is it it almost encourages people to, if you know you're under the the cosh a bit, to deliberately drop it because you're only giving away a free kick. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right with that. I just don't think because you could have a, a a prop could slip a prop and it, and it happens every game, multiple times a game. A prop slips and gets a penalty given against him. So and then I, all of a sudden, or or a scrum's going backwards, and it's only the prop that it's only either side prop that ever gets yellow carded for the scrum going backwards. Why is that? It's not the prop's fault. Could be the tight head locking behind him. The what? Tight head. <laughs> it was a joke. I knew that would get a rise out of um, One of the things I think, uh, having seen a couple of sort of old school games recently where there was no crouch bind set, you know, or a hit or anything like that, loads less scrum penalties. You're 100% just bind, right. Just it's, bind up and go, it's man. The, it's the speed at which it happens. The opportunity. It's, yeah. it's far too slow. It's the speed at which it happens. You want to get, as soon as you've got 16 people there, you go crouch, engage, ball in, done. And if you stop, if you also stop, um, who who was refereeing in the Exeter game? I can't remember. Ridley. Um, Ridley. But there was. He's desperate ex- to be Wayne Barnes, by the way. He is, yeah. He is. But there was, and he's absolute fucking toilet as well. 
There, but there was an Exeter scrum where they clearly dominated and, and then both front rows went down. Ball's at Simmons's feet and he's like, well, just crack on. Get on with it. The ball's there. Stop pissing about. And and that's what the refs need to do is as long as it leaves that line down the middle, if you're dominant, you've got the ball at your feet, play on. Just get the yeah. ball out. Yeah. Have we Before you know, we end up spending half an hour talking about referees and TMOs and other bits and pieces, any, is there any have. more? Which we have, yeah. Is there anything more that anybody wants to talk about on referees before we move this shit on into something a little bit different? And then we'll get back to some rugby matches in a minute. Right, good. So, uh, Patrick Jackson asks, what maul-over moment over the years made you laugh the most and which are you most proud of? Doug? Just repeat the question. Sorry, I was just. Which, uh, which do you have a do you have a maul over moment over the years that made you laugh the most? Um, crikey! Um, probably when you first told your uh, flaming petrol can story. Firegate. Just, I mean, just the fact that you um, you yeeted it into the street, <laughs> setting your foot on fire. <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah, I think that would, if you ask most of our listeners what their, what their memories are, I did ask a few people, there was, there was one that was a recent, you know, punching of a lion by Phil, but most have said uh, it was, it was around the fire gate. Ben, do you have any, anything else that you remember that Um, was funny? I mean, the fire gate story was definitely the funniest and partially I'm sure because I wasn't on the podcast, but um the, the actual highlight of it is just Doug under his breath, just giggling and just going, 24 pence a litre. One pound 24, I guess. But yeah. yeah. Um, but um, the, the, the sex whistle, obviously, that was, uh, that was yeah. a highlight. And, and, and a, a tip, a, tip my hat to Perry for putting Brad Barrett in every single dream team he ever picked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, those were the days. Get a Lions call up. Yeah. Those were the days. Our, our fantasy fifteens. Do you remember the, yeah. the fantasy fifteen of people we wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's when. Um, that's when we all. That's when we all got blocked by Stephen Jones, wasn't it? Probably. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to use that as a badge of honour because we are part of a, you know, ninety percent of Twitter that's been blocked by Stephen Jones. Um, Talking to Stephen James now, I'm not going to force anybody to answer this question, um, and it is hey, a little do bit. I, fun. Do, I, do I not get a favorite sorry, moment? Phil? Go on. What's your favorite? Well, moment? It, sorry, uh, other than Barbecue Gate, which it clear it clearly is. But we did a um, we did a live recording round at yours for us, uh, and put it out on YouTube. I think it was, or was it Facebook? No, live? It, it was. Facebook. It was um, Big Hit Rugby. Do you remember when Big Hit we got involved with Big Hit? Yes. Rugby? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, halfway through, all of a sudden, up pops a little comment that, as it drifts towards the top, <laughs> that just says "Fat Dan Cole." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those days, like those big hit rugby days, and ruck to a certain extent. But when we used to go live on Big Hit, we would we were getting like five, six, seven thousand people watching that video. It is utterly mental that people were watching us. In my front room, the three of us, like, wired up with the weirdest microphone set up and Doug on an iPad. On a, Doug, Doug on a telly. Yeah, <laughs> looked, like Holly at a red door. Yeah, like Holly at a red 
are doing interviews with Matt Jess and Chris Cracknell, and they are actually on the TV screen behind us on my living room telly. Literally an absolute shit show, but all good fun nonetheless. All good fun. Um, one of my favourites, I have to say, was was our uh, long-awaited TV show ideas. Burgers, burgers, Rhinox wine racks, obviously. Rhinox wine racks. So we had TV. Dave, Dave we had ribbons, t- Ray ribbons. Well, we had the, the ideas for a TV show, didn't we? Which which went down a storm, and then we decided. Joe Cocker, the singer was my favourite. <laughs> that was Joe the best Cocker, one. The singer. Shouts to Eddie. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then obviously we branched out into when Saracens were finally um, proven Ooh. to be systematically financially doping and basically cheating for all of the trophies they ever won um, and came up with some business ideas. And as we mentioned, Brian X Wine Racks, Dave Ribbons, Rave Ribbons, which was really good. Um, and, and lots and lots of others. So, and, and they made all the funnier when people that listen get involved and send them in. I mean, I'd love to uh, idea for a show. Uh, Care came up with some belters, I think. Didn't he? Ed, Eddie did. I mean, one of my favourites was was Danny Care Cares, <laughs> where he travelled around as a as a mobile carer to see. I mean, that would that would have worked really nicely in a pandemic. Danny Care in a in a face mask. I still think that would have been better as a Esther Ranson type Saturday night light entertainment show, <laughs> like an agony where, where he gets like long lost twins to meet. <laughs> Danny I- Cares. Punching chat was a highlight as well. I really enjoyed punching chat. Yeah, that was that was good. That I mean, that's over a year ago that we started punching chat as well. Which I just I thought... mean, it was it was such a unique idea. <laughs> yes, <laughs> never been done before. I think it was what made it so special. Absolutely unbelievable. If there's one got, thing uh, we are, mate, it's um, original. Same as every other podcast. <laughs> Original. I've got a little bit of a favourite from way, way back when on, we mate. first started. I ended up at um, London Sevens on finals day, got absolutely shit-faced and managed to blag myself as um, as the press and got in with the Australian Sevens team. And do you remember <laughs> I did an interview? Yes! And brought it in and we recorded it and aired it out. God knows yes. what it said. I can't remember either, but I do remember right. you asking questions to the Sevens team on your yeah. phone, recording it on your phone, holding it up yeah. and you <laughs> Yes, God, it's, things, it's little things like that that you just forget, and it's like yeah. over five years, you know, hours and hours and hours. I mean, five years we've probably done what's that? Three fifty-two, two hundred and fifty odd weeks. We're, we're probably we're probably up in the region of two hundred episodes now. We got to be not far away. If only we were counting. Well, don't make it up, Russ. Go and count them. Well, I can't. I have to go back to SoundCloud. I probably could do that, but I'm not. I'm not going to. Um, aren't they all on iTunes? No, no, they're not because when I transferred over, they didn't import, so they're they're all just sat on SoundCloud, the back catalogue. Well, anyway, true. yeah, all right, mate. So, um, a <laughs> cu- couple more questions before well, we talk about Bristol. And and the only thing I can see on your head is the reflection of your screen in your eye. <laughs> okay, no, I need to, I need to turn a light on. So what I'm going what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask this question and then I'm going to I'm going to let one of you answer it first. Um, ben Bacon, no, in fact I'm going to ask I'm going to ask this question by Chris Jones first. Um, and as I say, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Um, but Chris Jones asks, uh, of all the wet wipes that Maul over has fallen out with over the years, who do you want to see 
on the pitch in the Mallover Invitational in October. Um, Doug, why don't you go first? Well, I'd, I'd like to see Phil absolutely iron out uh, Sam Lana. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that as well. <laughs> um, that that would be that would be incredible. Um, above above the. With, Above the chest line, so above the nipple line, where we're going to have um, custom made straight to the jaw. So I'm I'm hoping we can find some sponsorship and get custom made shirts that have a tackle line on the chest, on the nipple. But get custom made hats with a tackle line across the forehead. (laughs) But but it's (laughs) it's strictly prohibited prohibited to tackle underneath the tackle line. So. Literally, if you tackle normally around the legs, around the, around the, the waist, or whatever, you are going to be penalised. It's high tackles only. So, um, so I've been going to a bit of uh, training down at Newquay, and second or third session, uh, Moxie, the coach goes, "Oh, it's full, ta- it's full contact, full tackling." Um, and I hadn't tackled anyone for probably three years. I haven't played a proper game of rugby, and and he goes, "Anybody who does a high tackle, it's five bank runs." Um, Topher gets the ball first up, runs straight at me, and I clock him on the chin with my shoulder <laughs> and just run straight up to the bank. Up I go. Uh, I mean, other than Mrs. Farm Vet, we're saying, Phil, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ideal. Um, ben? Um, I, I'd like to see, um, oh, what is it, Sam? Um... Oh, yeah, Peter's. Sam Peters starched as well, yeah. Tubbsy, I'd like to see you uh, starching from the blind side. He used to play. I mean, all these people used to play, and we can invite them all if they, if they, just, they, un- they unblocked us. It's when they I turn up and the they're much better them. than us. That's the problem. Which I don't mind them so being better, mate. nailed on with me. <laughs> I just love the fact that Sam Sam Lana. There was a bit of um, bit of back and forth on Twitter, but it was all fairly amiable. And then you invited him on the podcast and Doug just literally ripped him to shreds. We don't want to see people being hurt playing rugby. That's exactly what I want to fucking see. <laughs> I want to see people getting leathered. Anyway. Well, it's the, the, my, my favourite argument of um, uh, do we not care about player welfare? I no. absolutely <laughs> don't care about player welfare. Just, <laughs> like, as in Roman days, just stretch them off and wheel in another one. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> There's plenty more where they came from. <laughs> exactly. Um, I suppose that this is a better, as good a time as any, Perry, to formally invite you to the Mallover Invitational in, in October. Obviously, you'll be there, won't you? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Amazing. So now we, we've got five definites. We've got, we've got people, genuinely, on Twitter, we've got people coming from all over the country. Um, I know that JB and Tim from the Egg Chasers are keen to get involved. Um, we've been in contact with the Hornets and the people that uh, run the bar at the Hornets. So we're very, very hopeful that on the 9th of October, I think it's the 9th or the weekend of the 9th of October, that we will have a fixture of a description for a Mallover Invitational 15, whether that's against the Touring side, whether that's against the Hornets second side or Barbarians type side or Vet side. There will be a match on that day and you are all invited. Anybody that's there, anybody that can get to Nuki, we'll sort, I can sort out potentially some accommodation if needed. Bring your boots, bring your drinking hats. We're going to go old school. Russ, Russ gonna is be- going to do a barbecue. 
High tackles only. There'll be a barbecue afterwards. There's going to be drinking and yards of yeah, ale, uh, piss pots, welly boots, um, <laughs> any other particular vessel that you can think you might be able to drink out of that can hold liquid, you'll be drinking out of it. So if you like an old school rugby match, circa 1995 in the old school rugby clubs, then this is going to be the place for you. Please don't attend if you have any concerns over player welfare. I mean, that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, there will be an obligatory bottle of port for each team at halftime. At least. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the more, that is the all over invitational match. Um, let's have one more question uh, from the listeners before we move on. And that's from one of our uh, long-term listeners, Ben Bacon from the United States, Washington, D.C., District of Columbia. Um, his question is: Which rugby, which rugby podcaster, Mallover or otherwise, would make the best dictator? Now, before I before you give your answer, um, Tim from the HHS has replied that he thinks um, he'd be a Stalin Stalin esque dictator, saying everyone would uh, everyone to be equal and fair, then slinging all the competition in a podcast gulag. And make them to making them the only one that anyone could listen to. Um, he's got one or two podcasts in mind. So he's he's got this wrong, Tim has. Um, and this is gonna wind him right up. Cause uh what's the point of a dictator? A dictator is somebody who does their own thing and and does exactly what they want, which rules out most podcasters. But the good dictators bring everybody else along with them, and that's exactly what JB does. He creates his own opinion and then he convinces everybody else that it's right. Um, so yeah. I was going to say JB. JB is the dictator of the egg chasers and he may as well be our dictator as well. He's not my he's, dictator, mate. He's the, he's the only person I know who can come up with something that's absolutely, completely ridiculous. And then within about 30 seconds, you go, yeah, you're right. Even, <laughs> although, it's, even although it's horseshit. Good, good. Perry, you are you in agreement? You think you think oh, that uh, JB? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I love seeing uh, JB's uh, Twitter spats, and and Phil's right within five threads comments. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, he's got a fucking point. So, yeah, he's got he's got a certain divisive way, um, JB, which which is so much fun to watch because you know that as where, when he's saying what, what he's saying, as much as he believes it, he knows he's going to get a reaction from people and that's what makes it even funnier. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, ben, who who's your dictator from the podcast, rugby <laughs> podcasting community? Well, I, uh, I was thinking about, um, as I do often, Saddam Hussein. Um, <laughs> and I thought... Sort of been been in position probably too long. Um, um, slightly faintly sort of humorous, you know. Although although pure evil, there's a hint of slapstick about him. Ludicrous moustache, um, finger on the button, allegedly. But um, the button I'm thinking of is the block button, and uh, he could easily be Stephen Jones, couldn't he? Yeah, like that. He, he he would be a he'd be a very sort of sit back sort of Kim Jong Un style dictator, wouldn't he? I think. Yeah, I think he he'd be a, he'd be quite a ranter. He, yeah, he'd, he'd want everyone to agree with him, 
but he'd just be in charge of his sort of compound and everyone would get on with their lives outside. And if they didn't agree with him within the compound, he would just shoot them. And, and yeah, block, the, the, block the metaphorical block, meta, metaphorical block would be execution. Yeah, you know, yeah. VX gas or something like so, that. So yeah, so it, it is a literal block, like block from society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug, what about you? Um, well, I might go in a slightly different direction and say Sam Lana, <laughs> because if he was in charge, there would be no alternative opinions that were acceptable. It'd be ultra left wing, like so left wing that you know, if you earn over twelve and a half thousand pounds a year, you you literally have to give it all to poor people. Um, so it'd be very, you know, Chinese in that regard. I, I, I guess a kind of a kind of a kind of a, a, a very um, red kind of uh, unfair. Slightly twattish um, regime. <laughs> Only with, slightly. Uh, with accent. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, for me, there's only one man uh, who I believe could be a an effective dictator from the world of, of podcasting. Um, straight out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> Eddie Stevens. Now... You know, as a stand-up comedian, he can bring people along with him. He's used to getting rooms of people on his side. I mean, I've not I've not seen too much of his stuff uh, online, um, but you know, I assume he's, he's been rel- is relatively successful. Um, but Eddie Eddie's got his own way of portraying his opinions. He's amazing at ranting. You know, anybody that can create a podcast where they're on their own in a shed. And continue to remain sane, matter of opinion, um, is, is someone that can I think that I think could really lead us through a uh, a really difficult time. Add to that, he's got treme- a tremendous physique. He, I was going to say he's, he's got the guns for it, hasn't he's he? He's got the guns for it, um, probably physically and metaphorically, uh, being from New Mexico. Wow, he, he's got some really uh, aggressive. Um, allegedly uh, not rabid dogs. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that I'm, I'm sort convinced. of... I'm convinced. All hail of... our Albuquerque overlord. Absolutely. Eddie Stevens, dog cunt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's my dictator. Anyway, that's who I would pick. Um, and uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll hear from Eddie over the next few days um i believe he's got something special planned um should we should we go back to talking a, a little bit about rugby um or, or should we answer some more questions because i wanted to talk a little bit about bristol gloucester on monday night the first game obviously live on bt sport with fans back in the stadium how amazing it was to listen to you know, you, I've taken for granted over the last 12 months watching sport with that artificial piped-in crowd noise. And when Bristol started throwing the ball about, listen to the, that, that anticipation build in the crowd was something that I never thought I'd miss. And it wasn't until I heard it, and you got to hear it a lot because Bristol had, I think, eight, seven or eight tries disallowed, and Gloucester had one or two as well. 
and and just that noise was was spectacular and hopefully we never have to go down to the point where we're where there's no fans in in stadiums ever again and uh, and we can now continue to move forward but it was quite quite an incredible game that Gloucester managed to find themselves still in at half time even though they were down to 14 men of the red card um they found themselves down to 13 at one point when Rapaba Ruskin got yellow carded at the scrum. Again, like blame blame the prop, but you know I'd like to see a second row go in the bin for for a scrum for a series of scrum penalties. Like, why does it just have to be a prop? The prop's just gone down, but he's being su- he's being supported. The prop's being supported by the second row behind him and the the flanker. It, it's a it's a collective, isn't it? So why is one person being singled out? Um, but Bristol, they just kept, kept fucking up. They kept ballsing it up every single time. Did, did you think, Russ, so I, in this game, I, I didn't see it all, but I, I saw kind of most of the second half. And I actually thought Bristol were sort of tottering a little bit. They, they, they dropped the ball a couple of times. I think that they had a try disallowed and then, and then they just started to drop the ball. And, and Gloucester had a, a penalty on midfield, which they put into the corner. Yeah. And if they'd scored it, they'd only have been, I think, six, six or four points behind. Um, and they just messed the line out up, which they did throughout the entirety of the second half. Yeah. But I actually thought if, if Gloucester had scored there, then Bristol might have been in a little bit of trouble. Um, I know their fans were suffering because I thought Lloyd was going to have an aneurysm. I mean, the it, boy Collins on, yeah. uh, on WhatsApp, he was, he was suffering. Um, and I, I do wonder that, you know, they, I, they were almost starting to believe it wasn't their day, but then Gloucester I mean, didn't seize their chance. It was it was always going to be Bristol's day, even like even from that first that first sort of minute or so, or that you know the first five minutes when when they were really in the ascendancy. Alemano got sent off. Then Rapava Ruskin got binned. They only scored. Uh, the single try during that during that time when they were down to thirteen men because they just kept making errors, but they were cutting through Gloucester at will. I mean, Pietal was literally over the line when Moyle came back and, and punched the ball out from behind him. They they seemed to be in second or third gear and just assumed that they were going to win. And then second half, it still took them. You know, a good 10, 15 minutes of that second half to score again. But once once they scored that third try and they got a try, you know, pretty quickly afterwards, that it all it all just settled them down. Obviously, the likes of Ben Earl, Hughes, Radrandra were were excellent. Um, but again, Kyle Sinclair was was absolutely outstanding. Malin's on the wing was quality again, but they did he the big, did Sinclair cry after the game this time? No, because he wasn't man of the match. Okay. Um, but what what Bristol have got is is they li- every single one of their players is comfortable on the ball. The amount of Premiership players, forwards especially, obviously, but in a, in a lot of other teams, you don't really see them get the ball. I mean, even the likes of of Harry Williams or Ben Moon or. Um, my like Jake Cooper Woolley and you know those sorts of players. Jake, of all the props in the Premier, I know, yeah, Jake Cooper Woolley. 
I know, yeah. I, I, my mind went blank for a second. Your brain. But I just went, I just went sort of for a standard, Dan almost Cole. old school prop. Yeah, like, but but then you watch John Afoa, you watch Kyle Sinclair, you watch, you know, you watch those guys, and they're giving offloads out the back door. They're getting involved in build-up play. They're all so comfortable on the ball, which is what makes Bristol so dangerous because they keep the ball alive all the time. But they, they yes, haven't no, signed no. those two by accident, have they? Are you sure we're not in yeah. danger here of, of, of becoming a little bit sort of our oh, West Ham always play good football about Bristol? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I do as well because it, it, Gloucester are shit. They are shit. <laughs> and, and they were down they, to They could have men. scored 16 tries. Yeah, they could. <laughs> they, but they, they, but didn't. they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bristol that, give me very strong. Sure. You can join, join in the, uh, the circle wank, You know, sure. I just like I like watching it. I like I, uh, the opposite to Ben. Come back. I like watching. I like watching free flowing running rugby um, with an element of physicality. So I, I like I like super rugby with tackling. Is what I like. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so rugby, Doug. Correct. Yeah. I don't like yeah. to see a twelve-nine in the middle of December at the wreck on a Friday night in a howling gale. Don't like. Well, it. This isn't the podcast for you. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you'll find it is. <laughs> Harry, that hasn't changed. I'm still. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. Is that still you? I still <laughs> think of you when it's like a three-three game or something like that. It, it's the, uh, the the latest social media thing, isn't it? When there's a game that's finished 75-83 or something like that. Oh, don't say you weren't entertained. No, I wasn't entertained because no cunt made a tackle for 80 minutes. <laughs> Nobody's got muddy knees. Exactly. But yeah, sure. Bristol are great. All right. Well, we'll, we'll leave that there then. Gloucester are pace. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no about that. Um... Okay, let's let's round off the, the games. Exeter last night uh, away at London Irish. Sam Simmons has now scored nineteen Premiership tries in eighteen Premiership games. Is that right? Yeah, nineteen in nineteen. Absolutely unbelievable. Nineteen in nineteen. Unbelievable statistics. Uh, smashed the previous record to pieces of, of top try scorers for a season, and there's still three games to go. Um, and, and he said in his interview afterwards that it was down to down to his teammates who give him the ball in that situation. I think it was something what like, guy. what a guy. <laughs> but, you know, but he exits a play a certain way and he's been lucky enough to be on the end of it. Dave Ewers finds himself on the end of it quite a bit as well, doesn't he? But hey, I look, think there are, you can, you can wank about it all you like and I will. Um, he is doing a fantastic job and it's it's becomes a bit more impressive when you think about the fact that A, he's a forward, B, Luke Cavendick is usually the one at the back of the rolling balls, so he's not taking that role, which Waldron was getting a lot of his tries off the back of a of a, of a rolling line out. Um but it's it's he's just a symptom of that team. That's all it is. The the team play in the five metre area, a very forwards dominated game, but then in open play, he's got speed and he's got good hands and he'll get involved. So he will score tries. But uh, 
to me, it's it's great what he's done. Um, it's a it's a personal record in a team game, so let's just move on. Um, the most the most interesting thing about Simmons' performance last night, and I think it went under the radar a bit in the commentary, was that not only was he did he score a hat trick and he broke the record, but he he made the most tackles. Yeah, him and Yanis Kirsten, wasn't it? Who is Say an again. absolute him Simmons and Yanis Kirsten before he's him. some player, isn't he? He is that, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, um, unbelievable. And you I mean, yeah, like, you know when uh, they had that break where Slade kicked the ball through, um, Hassel Collins got back and recovered it, and uh, the, obviously the Irish back three and and um, Slade and um, O'Flaherty were there competing at the breakdown, and then. Kirsten came out absolutely nowhere and just marmalised everyone off the ball and won a turnover. It was like, yeah. how did that weird ginger thing get there so quickly? <laughs> he he looks like like a a big South African farmer who's just appeared out of nowhere. Like, he looks like he's um, broken several girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gosh. I mean, and you know, I'd, I'd Vermeulen into that as well. You know, obviously there was um, Dave Ewers. He, he looks like he spent his teens running into cars. Yeah, <laughs> just and 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 keeps doing it. Yeah, I mean those those two. I I think those two have got to be up there for the best South Africans in the Premiership. Um, they just the amount of work and effort they put in is is phenomenal, and it's not only that they. I think there was a stat midway through the second half or midway through the first half um, that Irish had um, had been dominant in something like seventeen percent of collisions, and that's pretty much because of those two players, because they'll they'll carry the ball in and they'll hit Vermeulen or Kirsten and they'll go back four yards every time, and it doesn't matter who it is. You can be it's the biggest almost, player on the pitch. Yeah, you 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 get marmalised again and again and again, and and there's only so much of that that any player can take. It felt like last night every other tackle was Vermeulen or Kirsten or Simmons. And it was just like those three, just like a brick wall everywhere. Wherever London Irish went, one of those guys was always there. And it was just, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I, I just don't understand where these South Africans keep coming from. Do you remember... South Africa, South Africa. five years old. <laughs> Where South Africa were five years ago in terms of international rugby, England had beaten them what seven games in a row or something. Do you remember? Like that. Yeah, and do you they, they didn't win a game in New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. In the Tri Nations, as it was then, they they were getting bummed in that, weren't they? It was just yeah. horrible everywhere. And, and then you well, I think the players you had the players in the Premiership alone. Yeah. I think they finally. I think they finally managed to to meld together that kind of natural physique with a decent skill set and good access to pharmaceutical aids in their teenage years. I think <laughs> if you had you... to design a back row forward from scratch, you would say, "Find me a South African farmer, and we'll go from there." Because and then and then jabbing with roids for four yeah. years before he's nine. Do you, but do you think the way the way the game sort of developed over the last four four or five years that it's actually playing into that kind of player's hands whereas you go back a few years and maybe it wasn't so much 
Because yeah, it can't be that post, these, like they post, can't be sixty up. South Africans that just drop into the Premiership and they're the best. They're to a man. They're probably there's probably if you if you took fifty the fifty best players in the Premiership, I'd say twenty five of them are South African. Post, Rugby post goes in cycles, doesn't it? They've, they've always been big, but they didn't necessarily have the skill set to go with it and the and the competitiveness. And they went through this shit stage of. Uh, super rugby where they were just getting smashed every every game and then they developed a bit from that and their international game developed a bit and then they realized that they could come to Europe and make a wedge of money um, and I think that's kind of driven the 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 pipeline and it's just taken a few years to get there um, you've, you've gone from Michael Rhodes and John Smith and pe- people like that coming over you know and and settling here and Moritz both and, and people like that Brits. You remember JP Peterson came over and he was an absolute disaster. It's interesting yeah. that they're not export. Uh, other than Reinach, they're not really exporting a lot of good backs, are they? And and De Klerk, I guess. Uh, well, you've got isn't um, Dialende in Ireland? Yeah, you've got Dialende, and the, but I I think Dialende is pretty average. I, I I don't think he would get into a Lions squad, for example. I I just think he's a and and he got found out in in Europe, didn't he? When he played in Europe. Do you think this is where this is where the the, the styles of playing in different countries are, and the leagues is almost sort of fundamentally different because you find a lot of the South African backs as well as a lot of the um, the Kiwi guys that go to France. It, obviously, it's money related because they will they're commanding the most money, so they're going to France. Um, with the exception of like Fekitoa and Sopawaga, who you know you wouldn't say they've been roaring successes in the Premiership, whereas the forwards, um, the forwards tend to fit I, in better in the Premiership than they do in France. I, I think I think, well, I think Fekitoa is, is fantastic for a start. Yeah, I also I think I think, think, Fek- think is great, but equally. There's some bloody good South African forwards gone to play in France as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but mean, the likes Pat, of Juan Smith. Yeah, Matt Field, Juan Smith. Yeah, they all did it. I'm Both just France trying to second rows. Yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to rationalise it a little I, bit. I, guess. I wonder if it's more to do with South Africa, a, a, a little bit victim to their coaches because they they seem to either have a brilliant coach or an absolute disaster, because. It, if you look at the Lions, the last three times the Lions have gone to South Africa, they've played the world champions. Yeah. So it, it it's not like New Zealand where they've had a, a long period of domination. They've they've really gone up and down, a sort of more cyclical thing. I, I remember watching, this was, was a, a, quite a few years ago now, when in, England went over there and England had Thomas Waldron playing eight and South Africa had um, Vimulan Albert and Lowe as their back row. And and in one test, I don't think I've ever seen ball carrying like it. They were just hitting the 10 channel just constantly. And big players like that, once that once they get a downhill run, they're, they're almost unstoppable. Um, but it doesn't seem to be a, a consistent um, selection, doesn't seem to be consistent you know, coaches just come in and, and and completely ship out players. They come to Europe and and stuff like that. So whether it's 
more to do with the money pulling them out of South Africa. I don't know. Quite, quite possibly. I mean, you know, there could be a multitude of reasons. Um, but just going back to, to Exeter very briefly before we get into so many other business, um, I feel like, and I know there was the Exeter uh, a peaking just at the right time. I think they're coming, they, they went through a shaky few weeks and now they're just coming back into some kind of form at the right time towards the end of the season. And, you know, the, the, the victory in Bristol a couple of weeks ago, um, they've scored something like 190 points in four games. And they're, you know, they're really starting to, to hit their straps at the right time. And if it stays the way it is, I think we could be in line for two, you know, the sale Exeter semi-final, if that's what it is to be, currently second versus third. Those two styles sit very well, as as well as Bristol versus Harlequins. And I could see two really good semi-finals there. Um, I worry, like, if, if it was to be Bristol versus Sale and Exeter Quins, for instance, I think it would... I think the, the two better teams would, would shut those, the second and the third and fourth teams down. But we'll see. Um, and the other thing I want to mention is, is Ugo Monia last night and spent... The best part of five minutes talking about uh, a Henry Slade near interception knock-on. I don't know whether you whether you remember this. He went. Uh, I think it was Mian. Who was the the starting nine for? Um, was it was it Mian? Phipps. Phipps and then uh, ex Saint Nick Groom came on. Yes, that's right. And Phipps Phipps threw a long pass out towards uh, Phil Thockenasiga, who I thought was excellent. And Slade went to intercept it. Genuinely went to intercept it, tapped it in the air, just couldn't gather it, like knock on whatever. And then Ugo Monia spent five minutes saying, oh, we've seen so many uh, yellow cards for that type of deliberate knock on. And, you know, you could see that Slade there generally, genuinely tried to, um, genuinely tried to intercept it and, and, and it's good. And we, but we're seeing too many yellow cards and uh, just baffling amounts of irrelevance. And he was almost arguing for Slade to get a yellow card whilst not arguing for Slade to get a yellow card, just contradicting himself with every word that came out of his mouth. And, uh, you know, for me, he's becoming a bit of a parody of himself as a commentator. And it's just, you know, it's frustrating me a little bit when I have to listen to him. So there you go. Cheers to that, Russ. Little on your rant. Sorry about that. I think he's great. Uh, these are the these are not the views of Douglas Andrews. Talking of, <laughs> talking of Ugo, I really enjoyed the Leicester Harlequins game. Well, it was a good game. Why was he not working there? <laughs> but um, Nadolo obviously kind of dominated the game, but um, it was interesting to see Ford against Smith because I thought Ford kind of got the better of it. But you can still see how good Smith is. Like every pass he picks is the right pass. He, I he just is. think he's a bit of a magician, isn't he? He yeah. in that Quinn's team, he's been allowed to to run his show. From what I can from what you can visually see, it's his it's his show and he can run it like heads up. As you see it. Play as you see it, Marcus, we trust you. Whereas I think in certain circles, like George George Ford or 
um, certain other tens. It's so structured, especially with England, that that the ten isn't allowed to run it as he sees it because he's he's very much hamstrung by a system or by a tactic or by whatever. Yeah, like every pass he picks is is a, is a good pass. You know, obviously sometimes he's got two or three right options because people are picking good lines, but you know he he doesn't seem to 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 waste waste the ball, waste the pass, and I, I again just really impressed by him. Um, Green played really well. Tyrone Green thought he played really well for them. Um, and um, George Martin's a good player. I know he got a bit of stick for being picked by for England, but it wasn't his fault. And and he is he was good in that game as well. If you can tell the difference between him and Harry Wells, you're a better man than me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, constantly through that game. Yeah. Maybe right. that's what Jones did. Doesn't surprise you, would it? If if Eddie Jones in his autobiography went, yeah, I picked um, George Martin. I actually thought it was Harry Wells. Would you be surprised? <laughs> like like Luther Blissett. Yeah, and when he picked um, <laughs> Luther Blissett, and it, and he it was the ex Saint guy, the centre, Luther Burrell. Luther Burrell. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to have an ex-footballer on the team, so I picked Luther Burrell to play for Watford. <laughs> In the 80s. <laughs> Amazing. He got, didn't he get signed, signed for AC Milan or something because they thought he was John Barnes? That can't be right. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard that. I mean, I can imagine an Italian doing that. In the, in the 80s. On the yeah. it, was a different, it was a different time. I bet he was called John Barnes the entire time it was, he was there as well. It was acceptable in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's let's move on. Any other rugby related uh, chat from you guys? Anything else you want to add before? Um... Uh, just just back to the Exeter game. I don't know if anyone picked up on it, but it was um, club captain Jack Yendall's two hundredth appearance last night. Um, and I have often thought of how good a player Jack Yendall is, and obviously LCDs come through and quite rightly taking the number two shirt. But um, I think he's been excellent for Exeter over the last, well, since they've come into the Premiership. Was he, he's been there since they came up, was he? Yeah, uh, yeah, not long after they, not long after they came up. He wasn't one of the originals. Um, Russ, do you remember when well, you... One of my favourite... I, I was just about to say, that was one of my favourite moments. That was, that was something I've forgotten about. That was at the Premiership final. Jack. When he came off the bench, Jack Yearsall. Sat there with uh, people who called George Cruz, Cruis. <laughs> I mean, pronunci- pronunciation is Ben's gig usually, but Ben, Ben, who's that? Um, that old England centre who plays bass. <laughs> John Tiny Ape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how we laughed! Um, uh, to answer your question, though, Perry, yeah, he's been brilliant, and he is up there with uh, among the right at the top of the list of people I'd least like to run into, pissed. <laughs> do you think I mean do you think his ship has sailed or do you think he could potentially be getting I think England A recognition like he might get England A maybe if England A if England A have been going for the last just with his fingers yeah, I think if England A have been going for the last five years he could have captained them a, most of that time I think he would have been perfect for that role um, I mean but... I, I only say that because you know, Jack, 
the youngsters like Singleton and um he's useless. Yeah, yeah. no, no, but people that have been around that squad that haven't really done anything, like how many hookers are Thacker is not literally not played. He must be it must be injured. Right? I haven't, seen, yeah. haven't seen him for ages. But if you look, you know, top with with Cowan Dickey going with the Lions, they've got two tests England and Tom Dunn is not available. George and Cowan Dickey with the Lions and no Tom Dunn. England are going to have to, you know, they have to go in a different direction for somebody they've not picked before, don't they? And he can't be far down the list. If if Eddie Jones wants an experienced hooker that can be a, a leader in that team. <laughs> what, what a statement. <laughs> I mean, Eddie, Eddie's experienced hooker. Jill, do you like an owl's <laughs> Um Yeah, what, what, you, you could do a lot worse than, uh, than Mr. Eandall, non-MBE. <laughs> do you remember you interviewed him once, Ross? Did, yeah, it's Sandy Park, yeah. He was, um, he was very good value as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Was that yeah. when we went to watch the Ulster? Game. Ulster? Yeah. It was, you, yeah. That was where Go Well came from, wasn't it? You, well. you told all four players to go well. Ian Whitten, go well. Jack, Jack Yardell, go well. Every time I see Ian Whitten, I just want to say, mate, come on. The absolute state of it. It's time to just go and sit down. <laughs> Can't be fun for you anymore. You're 130. <laughs> Literally. He's like he's like the epitome of of like the grey man, isn't he? As in like just blends in. Yeah. Does, not spectacular. He's, so, just so he's, I, I, I just he's played 224 times for Exeter. Unbelievable. Really? I, I've got no doubt that he'll be turning out for Exeter amateurs when he's 65. <laughs> Love it. Wearing his red shorts. So and properly. and not, not one of us would like to play against him even then. No. Um, like tackling a bag of hammers, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to finish uh, tackling a bag of ham. But that's probably more like tackling me. Bag of Lamont. You absolute prick. Um, right, like let's tackling a beanbag. <laughs> Let like like punching a pillow. Um, <laughs> right, let's move on to many other business. It's time to get out of here. Um, Perry, thank you so much for joining us. Five years further, further down the line. Um, have you got any other business, non-rugby related, anything that you want to uh, just bring up before we before we wrap it up? Uh, I received some really worrying news this morning. My uh, Lions tickets. Uh, I'm going to see them play oh, Japan. Christ, I thought you were going to say Louis. I now. You're going to say Louis is pregnant. No, no, no. <laughs> I now only have a 25 no, percent chance of going. Oh no. Uh, yeah, they've they've culled it by seventy five percent for the for uh, Murrayfield. So I find out next Friday. Sixteen and a half thousand for Murrayfield, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So they were they were all sold out. I was fortunate enough to I got tickets, um, but I'm a bit yeah. It was announced today that seventy five percent were being culled and refunded. So yeah, Fingers a little bit worried. Fingers yeah. crossed. Ben, anything for you? How many downloads did you say we've had in the last few months? Well, I mean, since we went on to Anchor. We don't need to make that public knowledge. No. Okay. I like that. Well, 
all I all I want to say is um, it, it it's become apparent that uh, Harry arranged to get a pound per download, and that's why he's ducked out because he's been constantly on holiday ever since. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think we we should out him now. <laughs> there was no written contract. Well, we should call call him <laughs> gay as well. <laughs> Oh God! You, you're going to get cancelled, Phil. <laughs> oh, good. We've done it already. Um, uh, Doug, any other business? Um, for a team that are apparently, if you listen to Twitter, desperate for any kind of um, intervention to stop the hateful and uh, sincerely and properly offensive um, team chant. There weren't half a lot of uh, Tomahawk war cries going on last night. <laughs> in, in West London? Almost seems like no one at Sports Exeter gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let it go. Fucked, in it? Phil, are you still there? Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, nothing to really say other than carry on from, from last week's. James is still doing his... Uh, sponsored ride run um row thing throughout may and uh, a big thank you to everybody who's donated and been incredibly generous currently sits at just over a thousand pounds that he's raised which is phenomenal oh, that's amazing well done james <clears throat> um that's the ps5 sorted <laughs> um i i haven't really got anything to to raise um other than a little bit of mild sincerity um it is it is a sincere thanks to every single person that's ever listened to this podcast including the ones we don't like because it as much as we have fun doing it sometimes it has been hard work to either to get together or it, sometimes it, it's easier to to not do it but sometimes the host lose all motivation sometimes yeah absolutely and you know but knowing <clears throat> knowing that we've got support of people out there that actually like to listen to us, knowing that we actually, you know, we make a difference to a certain extent in people's life. The fact that they expect to receive a podcast from us on a Tuesday morning, like, <laughs> Oh no, where's it like it? It's, it's really heartwarming. And especially after the year we've just had, it's nice that, you know, it's nice that people still listen to us. So like really, really genuinely, Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for getting involved. Thanks for tweeting us. Thanks for abusing us. Thanks for li literally everything. We couldn't care less if you called us all dog cunts left, right, and centre. It does not matter to us. We, do we, do we want to say thank you to all ten of them by name? Yeah, well, we could, we could do <laughs> hey, that. Well, look, we we might have one one extra because uh, a, a meeting in the. Um... Uh, pub pre-match last uh, yesterday and uh, just uh, want to shout out Charlie Hay who um, said that he was going to download and listen to us we already follow him apparently so we must oh, do we? Before, but uh, just going to shout him out cool well welcome Charlie hope you enjoyed that um, this is about the level you can expect it doesn't I'd get any better than this I'll give him two weeks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyway two weeks two weeks and then he'll give us a shit review yeah, yeah, thank you very then much. Then he'll go and listen to Egg Chasers like everyone else. <laughs> well, and everybody should. 
right? Because they're the best ones at doing it. Absolutely. This. You shouldn't be listening to um, stupid Andy Good or any of those idiots. Um, if you're going to listen to any rugby podcast that isn't this one, listen to that one. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't they agree started more. off just like us. Yeah. There's, and There's enough space for two, us and them, and everyone else can fuck off. You know, yep. and without without getting too circle wanky, they they helped us out a lot when we first started. And like you say, they're just normal people that have got to where they are through hard work and you know, <laughs> yeah, actually doing it every week and doing it every week, <laughs> <laughs> staying consistent. Anyway, right, we're fucking off now. Um, it's Champions Cup final European weekend, isn't it? So the likelihood is, you know, we may be back. We may not be back next week. We might do an ask all over anything. We might do a punching chat next week. Who knows? Our team of the season. Oh, fucking hell. Are you sure? Uh, hey, oh, yeah. Just looking back we for our come, Facebook we, thing. Yeah. Years ago, we did team of the season with a, a bloody video podcast. God, with graphics yeah, and everything. We should do a fancy 15 team of the season with at least one player from every side. And Brad Barrett. Oh, good old <laughs> and Brad Barrett. We, Fucking right. We, we will do something next week. I don't know what it is, but it will be something uh, mediocre. So <laughs> with the best will in the world and great intentions, it's been an absolute pleasure. Here's to another, you know, five months and then we'll see where we are. <laughs> uh Speak to you all next week. Go well. We've reached rolling contract point. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.